Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now today I'd like to talk with you about men's ministry. Over the past few weeks, I've had a rather intensive time of doing men's ministry. Now, it's not unusual for me to speak at a men's conference or a men's event, but here lately it seems that I've had a number of these that have come together in a fairly short period of time, and because of that I've been able to think about and reflect on and observe some of the commonalities and strengths of these ministries, and I want to talk with you about some of those today as you think about how to build men's ministry and then also how to shape your church to be more supportive of men in ministry leadership. Over the past few weeks, I've been involved in four different events. First of all, I was a speaker at a major men's conference on the East Coast. That conference had about uh, 2,000 men registered, and I was able to speak in the large session and then at a couple of different breakouts. I was able to observe the conference leadership up uh, uh, fairly closely and see how they've put together this conference. This is their 19th year and how it's grown over the years to be really a major force in their region. Another men's ministry event that I'm involved in is a men's retreat. About 100 guys uh, going away to a retreat center where I'll be speaking multiple times over a two-day period and helping them to develop some insights and some ideas about uh, a particular theme they've asked me to speak on. And then a third um, issue, uh, a third event has been the men's ministry of the church I attend. Our church has a very vigorous men's ministry and has a number of different expressions and different uh, things that it does. But one of those is about 10 months a year, they have a once a month meeting of men on Saturday morning. It usually involves a breakfast and a short message of some kind, followed by um, some need meeting program or some need meeting activity that men can participate in uh, as church minist- as a church ministry. And then finally, another unique ministry to men Uh, that I'm involved in is a national ministry to professional umpires. For about the last 15 years, I've been a consultant and a mentor to the leadership of this organization. And we primarily, and and it's designed uh, exclusively to reach out to and minister to professional umpires at both the major and minor league levels. Now, there are occasionally a woman or two that's in the professional umpiring ranks, and when that happens, we try to also include them in our ministry. So this ministry is not a, quote, men's ministry. It's a ministry to umpires, which is 99% of the time a ministry to men. And so I've had these four different uh, opportunities. I've spoken at a major conference. I lead, uh, I, I'm leading a men's retreat. I'm participating in a local church-based ministry. And I'm involved in a national ministry that really targets a particular group of people, uh, most of which are men. So from that vantage point of watching these ministries in action, I've observed some commonalities among these ministries which make them effective in reaching out to men. Uh, The first thing is that in each case, they have a committed leader. But this might surprise you. In these instances that I'm describing, the committed leader is not primarily a gifted preacher or a gifted teacher. Instead, the leader is a visionary who has strong administrative gifts, who understands male culture and biblical manhood, and is committed to creating an approach of ministry that communicates those messages and engages men in many different ways. So this is a first and important insight, I think. Your men's ministry leader doesn't necessarily have to be your men's ministry Bible teacher or your men's ministry spokesman or your men's ministry preacher. 
Now, in a couple of cases of these four examples I've given, the leader is an adequate speaker. They certainly aren't embarrassing themselves when they get up to speak, and, and they do some speaking. But that's not what they're primarily known for, and that's not what they're primarily gifted to do. In each of these four men's ministries uh, that I'm describing today, the, the commonality among their leadership is that they have strong uh, visionary capacity to see what needs to happen and strong administrative gifts uh, to make it happen. Now, obviously, they also have passion for men and a commitment to the Lord and uh, the character that's needed to sustain them in, in, in their ministry leadership. And, and, uh, and those things, of course, would be common among lots of different kinds of le- ministry leaders. But particularly as it relates to these men's groups, I think one of the mistakes I see made is people look for uh, the super dynamic speaker, uh, the person who's going to be the great teacher or communicator, and they think that's what's required to build an effective men's ministry, when in reality, um, a person with a vision for men's ministry and the administrative gifts to make it happen is the common denominator kind of leader which re- stretches across these four examples I've been working with lately. A second aspect of, uh, a second commonality, I should say, about these different events is that they have a clear and unapologetic message about biblical manhood. Now, this is really difficult in our culture today because of a phrase called toxic masculinity. Now, I hear that phrase, and frankly, when that phrase has a narrow definition, I think it's very helpful because there is such a thing as toxic masculinity. Uh, When men are abusive, when they're violent, when they uh, use their power in destructive ways, when they are irresponsible, uh, that is toxic masculinity. But my concern is that like a lot of other things in our culture, that toxic masculinity in its legitimate definition is then expanded to include almost all expressions of maleness that have anything to do with leadership, uh, with taking initiative, with being responsible, with standing up for what's right, for being willing to lead in a home or declare yourself the leader of a family or even the leader of a church. Those aspects of masculinity are not toxic. Uh, it is not um, an evil thing for a man to say, I'm supposed to be the leader of my family. I'm supposed to take responsibility for my church and community. I'm supposed to do what's right and demonstrate integrity. Uh, I, I, I'm supposed to stand up for what's right and oppose what's wrong. I'm supposed to be a voice for the weak and to make sure that people are cared for and t- dealt with appropriately. These things are not wrong, and they're not an evidence of toxic masculinity. Um, so I'm, I'm willing to embrace that, that uh, phrase as long as we keep a good definition of what it means. But these, common, these ministries I've been engaged with and the men who lead them, they have a really good understanding of biblical manhood and a really good understanding of appropriate uh, models of masculinity, and they're not apologetic about that. Um, They're calling men to be leaders. They're calling men to take responsibility. They're calling men to be servants. They're calling men to do what's right and to demonstrate integrity. They're calling men to obey God and to do that even if it's costly on a personal or professional level. Um, They have a very clear message about biblical manhood, and they're really not interested in uh, anything that's toxic, but neither are they willing to back away from true masculinity or from definitions of true manhood.
And then a third commonality of these four different aspects of men's ministry I've been experiencing, again, conference, retreat, church, and the umpire's ministry, a, a, a third commonality is that all of them are connected with, with what I'll call the male perspective. In other words, they are not afraid to design ministries that really do engage with, connect with, interface with uh, the way the, that men generally see the world. Now, when I say generally, I understand that not every man sees the world the same way, but uh, there is a male worldview or a male way of seeing the world, and men's ministries tap into that and do so uh, unapologetically and do so actually intentionally and aggressively. My wife and I joke about this. Sometimes when my wife and I are going into an event, I will turn to her and say, Ann, you're going into man world now. And she'll say, I got it, man world. Because she knows that men just see the world a little differently. Especially when I get around my two sons and uh, we're going to do something together. Uh, and, you know, either Anne's going to go with us or she's going to drop us off or she's going to be somehow engaged. I'll remind her now, when you get there, remember, you're going to be in man world. Uh, and in man world, things are just done a little differently. That doesn't mean they're better. It doesn't certainly mean they're best. It just means that they're different. And so let me give you some ideas of what I mean. Uh, uh, the male perspective, most men really enjoy competition. Now, we enjoy it in a healthy way as Christian men, meaning that we're not trying to crush anyone or harm anyone or we're not trying to win at all costs, but even Christian men enjoy competition. And one good example of this is at this recent uh, uh, men's conference. They recognized all the churches who came. They scrolled on the screen a list of churches and the city from which they came, and the leader called out every one of them. And there were, you know, there were quite a number. And then he said, now we'd like to recognize, as we always do, the men's group that's here with the most men who brought the largest group. And he called out the name of this church, and the whole group stands up. must have been about 75, 80 of them. They all stand up and start cheering uh, in this giant room that holds about 2,000 men. And the leader says, now you guys come down to the front. So not just the leader. He gets the whole group down there, and they're all standing around the stairs of this altar area of this church. And they gave them this big trophy thing. was probably three feet tall. looked like a big cup like you'd win at a, gol at a golf tournament or something like that. And it was, of course, engraved that, that at this year's conference they had the largest group. And, and everyone cheered and clapped and hooted and hollered and had a great time. It took about 90 seconds to do that, but it was a great moment of recognition for this hard work that, church, that this group had done to get the largest group there. Now, this is going to be controversial for some, but most men don't like participation trophies. Um, I know that I always did it because that's the way moms particularly wanted it done, but when I coached teams, you know, we gave everybody a trophy. But frankly, a lot of guys kind of laugh at that because we like to compete. We don't mind losing. Uh, if we lost fair and square, hey, you know, you've got to learn how to lose. You don't have to like it, but you have to learn how to do it. But we also like to win, and we like to cheer on the guys who do win and look up to them and say, those guys got it right. Those guys did a great job. We're going to be like those guys next year. And so competition uh, is a good thing. At this men's retreat uh, that I'm, where I'm speaking, uh, they have games set up, and they're not all hardcore athletic games. They're just games where guys can get together and do everything from dominoes to frisbee golf to touch football. I mean, they can do all kinds of things. But they recognize that men like to get together, and they like to compete with each other, and they like to have a winner, and they like to laugh and joke and talk about that, and they like to give silly little prizes to each other in those contexts. So 
one commonality uh, of the male, or one, one expression of the male perspective as a commonality of how these events was done was they all involved some kind of competition. Uh, another thing I noticed about all four events is they all involved what I call direct communication. Direct communication. Uh, men want the facts. They want the information, and they want it put out there directly. And when I speak at a men's conference or a men's event, I speak much more directly with more pointed illustrations, which often include some details I might not use in a mixed setting, or especially in a place where there's mixed ages. Um, I, I'm not vulgar. I would never do that. I'm not. I'm not uh, trying to be a cent, uh, cent, uh, you know titillating or just stir people up emotionally. But I, but I do share some details about some things that really help men understand what I'm talking about. And because I do that, and because other speakers do that, um, men respond very directly in return. When I was, for example, working with Baseball Chapel, it sometimes surprised people to know that in Baseball Chapel, you, have t uh, you only have a 20-minute time allotment on a Sunday in the ballpark to do chapel with the players. And you might say, well, well you need more time than that. And really, you don't. Um, you, in Baseball Chapel, we would walk into the room, and you'd have 20 minutes. And when that, if it started at 11 o'clock, if you weren't started by 11.01, one of the players would say, Chaplain, you need to get started. Because they knew they had 20 minutes, and they didn't want 19. They wanted 20. And so when we would start Baseball Chapel on the nose at 11 o'clock, uh, you simply start, you say a prayer, and then you dive into the Bible, and you give them about 18 minutes of very clear, direct instruction. And guys liked that. Uh, they wanted that. They, they could get more in 18 direct minutes than they could get in 45 wandering around minutes. And so uh, men's ministries that seem to do well, understand that men want direct communication. Uh, and what I mean also by that is uh, they, they want the information more than anything else and want to know how to put it into practice and what to do with it. Let me, let me give you a contrast. My wife is a tremendous conference leader. She, she's lot, led a lot of conferences, does a lot of speaking, particularly in the area of children's ministry. And most of the people, not all, but most of the people who come to her conferences are women. And so when my wife goes in to do a conference, she has to get there about an hour or two before. And she puts tablecloths on the tables, and she puts out her displays, and she puts up some decorations. And if there's anything in the room that's going to be distracting, she covers that. She puts out little gifts, little chocolates and things like that. And my wife creates a, an, an ambiance around her teaching time. When I walked into this last men's retreat, excuse me, men's conference. Um, I walked into a breakout session, 150 guys. I had a table, a projector, and I was shooting the uh, words of, of my presentation on the wall, okay? Uh, we had no decor. We had no handouts. We had no chocolates. We had nothing. And I walked in, I fired up my computer, and I said, guys, I'm going to talk to you for the next little while about this particular subject that I've been asked to speak on this afternoon. And when I finish with it, every one of you that wants this PowerPoint, I'll email it to you so you have a direct record. You can go back and review. If you don't want that, I'll ask you just to write down one or two key ideas of what I say today that you're going to put into practice when you walk out of this room today. Are we all together? And there was a lot of, yeah, yeah, we're all together. I said, all right, here we go. And then I just start teaching, and I'm teaching very clearly from Scripture, with very identifiable points of action and clear illustrations for men about how a man can put into practice what I'm teaching. And I'm offering it to them to walk out the door with when they leave. Men like that kind of direct communication. And 
Um, I found that to be kind of a commonality, not just of my presentations, but as I watched other presenters in these contexts where I've been speaking, that's how they did it as well, and that's why they have been, uh, that, and that's why men respond so well to them. Okay, here's another commonality. Now, this one I know is kind of stereotypical, and you're going to say, yeah, yeah, but I want you to listen to the nuance I'm going to bring to this. Another commonality of these events is great food. Men like to eat great food, but listen closely. They don't particularly care about the presentation as much as they do about the content and the taste of the food itself. Let me give you an example. Back when we were uh, parents with our kids at home, my son was a, a captain and a quarterback of a football team in high school, and so every week during the season, we had the team dinner at our house. Now, we're talking about 50 to 60 football players, uh, several of them who went on to play college football that were big guys that could eat a lot of food, okay? And so uh, we, we talked to my son, and my wife and I kind of laid out a menu, and and my wife said, yeah, but, 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 and she kept adding some things that she thought we needed because you have to have that balance to, you know, uh, different colors on your plate and different foods and those kinds of things. And then my wife said, well, we really need to, you know, set up some tables and chairs. And I'm thinking, no, I, I really don't think we need to do that. Um, but again, we did because, you know, my wife's wanting to be a great hostess. And so we set those up. So we have these 50 guys over the first time, and we serve uh, a lot of burgers and hot dogs and lots of things that go with that. And uh, uh, the guys lined up and ate every single thing we cooked. I think we cooked an average of four, uh, excuse me, three items per player, and they ate every single thing that we put out that night. And not a one of them sat in those tables and chairs. What they did was they got their food. And they piled it on their plates, and they went all downstairs into our family room. And 40, 50, 60 guys crammed in this family room, sitting around on the floor, sitting around in circles, sitting against the wall, so they could put the game tape on and watch themselves play football or watch the team they were going to play and talk about it and laugh about it and have a time of team bonding while they were eating together. And my wife said to me later, man, you're right. We don't need any tables and chairs. And so for the next two years... We had team dinner before every game, and every time they did the same thing. They would all come in, get the food. They would head downstairs and uh, spread out, all in the same room, all sitting around on the floor, leaning against walls, food bounced on their laps. But they wanted to be together more than they wanted to have a certain like place to sit, and they wanted to eat good food together. And so after they'd come a couple times, you know, I kind of worked the room, and I said, hey, guys, um, you know, we're thinking about changing up the menu, getting some different things. What, what do you guys want? And they're like, no, we love this. We love this. Just keep grilling everything. We love this. And so I got a friend, and we brought another grill over. And so we had two big grills set up on my patio, and, and he and I would just start cooking out there and just as fast as we could cook it, you know. We're cooking like 150 burgers and dogs and then all the trimmings that go with that. And we put that out every week, and the guys never wanted anything else. And we'd always ask them, you know, we'd try to vary it up a little bit. No, they didn't want that. And we put something else out, they'd skip over and go to what we were grilling because they liked that kind of approach. Same thing with this men's conference I went to and spoke at. They had a lunch plan that was, that was really high quality, really fast service, really good solid food that guys could sit down and eat together without really much ambiance about it. And same thing with this retreat, this uh, men's, uh, with the umpiring uh, ministry. Every year we have a retreat, and it, it's 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 at a retreat center to be sure. But 
they actually bring in an outside caterer to do the food because they want the food to be world-class, I mean first-class. And so they bring in an outside caterer to do just, just great spreads for the five meals we have there over those three days. And guys, uh, just, just talk, go away talking about that as one of the highlights of the event. So um, I'm not, I don't want to be stereotypical here. I, yeah, guys like to get together and eat. But what I hope you'll hear is this. Good men's ministries recognize that men want great food not served with a lot of ambiance or necessarily a balanced meal or anything like that. They want great food served in a place where they can share it with other men. And whether that's sitting across from a table, maybe that's okay, but it doesn't have to even be that. It can be sitting around a campfire. It can be sitting in a room watching a football film. It can be sitting together in the hallway of a church where you got guys being able to share a meal together where the quality of the food is more important than the ambiance in which it's served. Now, um, you know, I, at the seminary, we do a lot of banquets and events, and we put a lot of energy into the ambiance, into the banners that are hung, and into the signs that are up, and into the videos that are shown, and into the way the food, the way the tables are presented. And that's important in some contexts because we're not having men's events for the seminary. So when you're doing events for men and women, and you're trying to set a different kind of a of an atmosphere, surely all those things do matter, but not so much when you're dealing with just a men's event. Then another uh, c connection to male perspective is that men learn by doing. Now that doesn't mean they can't come and sit and listen, but. For example, at this men's conference I went to, they kept the men moving. We had a large keynote session, and then we broke up and we went into different groups, and they even used three churches that were located close together on the same block because one church just wouldn't hold it all. And so they had men walking from one building to the other and moving around, and then they let them move around during lunch, and then they brought them back into the big group. And even during the large group, there was time to stand and time to sit. Um, and it even said in the program, men on their feet, and that was a signal that at certain times in the program that they wanted guys standing, and they wanted guys singing, or they wanted guys praying, or they wanted guys moving. So men learn by doing, and not just that, but um, for example, our men's ministry at our church doesn't always have its event where people come to see a program or hear a speaker. Sometimes we come together and, uh, and eat together, and then we go out and do something together, go into the community and serve, go make a difference in the lives of some people, go out and accomplish a project. Men learn by doing. They learn by moving. They learn by activity. And some men more than others. One of my sons is a kinetic learner. In other words, he really likes to uh, to do and then learn. He likes to do to learn by trial and error. I've, I've jokingly said he's the uh, ready, fire, aim kind of a guy. He likes to get it out there and see what needs to be adjusted and learn along the way. Uh, that's a way a lot of men are, but even men who aren't that particularly extreme in this still like to learn by doing. They don't just like to come and sit and listen. They like to be engaged and be given opportunity, at least as a part of the ministry, to go out and actually put into practice something of what they're doing. All right, so men's ministry. I've recently been to four events, a major conference, a retreat, a church-based program, and then, of course, this umpire's ministry that I'm involved in. As I look at these four big events or four big ministries that I've been, uh, been working with, these three commonalities stand out. They all had a committed leader, and that leader was not necessarily a speaker or a teacher. Instead, it was a person with a vision for men's ministry that was administratively gifted to make it happen. And then second, they have a clear message. They're not apologetic about biblical manhood. They want men to be men. 
they understand toxic masculinity and they are uh, averse to that in every way, but they have not allowed that phrase toxic masculinity to be a catch-all to describe everything about maleness. And so it's important to understand that we do have a clear message, and these ministries all have a very clear message that men are, have to live servant leadership lives that are responsible for themselves, their families, their communities, that do what's right, stand up for the poor, stand up for the weak, stand up for the hurting, maintain their integrity, uh, obey the word of God even when it's painful. These are the things that mark real manhood, and these ministries have no apology about that message. And then... They're all connected to what I call the male perspective, and they understand that. Now, I, believe me, haven't tried to give you a complete overview of that today. But there are some things that do stand out. These, these groups or these ministries, they, they do have competition involved in them. They, they, they have direct communication. You know, they, they do have great food, and they understand that men like to bond around that. And then they let men learn by doing. It's not always just come and sit and soak. It's sometimes let's go and do and talk and learn as we're getting this done. So that's some of what it means to build men's ministry. Now, in the next podcast, I want to come back and talk about what it means to design or shape churches, ministries that are more connected to men and can facilitate men being more involved in local church leadership. So we'll get to that one on the next podcast. This one, how to build men's ministries and some commonalities of some strong men's ministries I've recently observed. Hopefully some of these suggestions will help you make some correctives in how you're doing men's ministry and maybe accentuate some areas that you might have been neglecting as you're trying to build a strong ministry to men. I know you can do it. Men are important. Designing ministries to connect with them really is significant, and it's a challenge, but I know you'll meet that challenge as you lead on.